Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. The current state of our economy may be an indication of what to expect in a woke green future. We've seen a 48% increase in gas prices, which adds about $15 to a fill-up. The cost of groceries have gone up almost 9%, according to recent figures, but average wage growth is not keeping up. It's only at 2.9%. Now, all of these things are just a shadow of what might come if we go totally green, maybe. But what does that mean? We're gonna talk about all of this today. My guest today is Richard Ron. He's the chair of the Institute for Global Economic Growth. And Richard, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. It's an interesting subject that we're gonna to discuss today. It has a lot of controversy, a lot of people on various sides of the issue. But first off, I think I wanna start with you and I wanna ask you, what is the problem we're trying to solve? And I know that's a rather broad question, um, can you put it into some perspective for our listeners? Well, we want to increase the supply of energy to bring down its price at the same time, um, not uh, pollute or minimize pollution. And those goals can be reconciled, but unfortunately, we're not doing it. So producing more energy, efficient, cost-efficient energy, that consumers can use and keep going and not destroy our environment at the same time, that is a big challenge. Now, I think you had written a recent article in the Washington Times talking about the cost of going green. And, and in it, you were talking about um, what's going on in Europe right now. Can you put that in perspective for us? Yes, I mean, the problem is that Europe decided to go green or what they call green before they worked out adequate alternatives. And as a result, um, I gave one example, uh, Britain went heavily to windmills in the North Sea. Um, that works perfectly well as long as the wind is blowing. But for some reason in September, there was a week or two with very little wind and suddenly Britain found itself without adequate power and it had shut down a number of its old coal plants and other alternatives. So they were just stuck without power. The problem with wind and solar, of course, is we don't have good economical storage yet. So if the sun doesn't shine or if the wind doesn't blow, you're in deep trouble if you don't have adequate storage or adequate backup. And you need to have a baseline electric generation. And that comes from uh, hydro, uh, coal, nuclear, oil, and gas. And if you don't have those, and if the renewables fail you, which they occasionally will, then you're in trouble. So in Britain, for example, they really had kind of... Um made a rather extreme move to going green and they shut down a lot. Am I to understand they shut down a lot of the um, components that would make up the backup for, for the loss of the wind and power and sun? Exactly. People don't realize that, well, when they think about it, of course they realize that 
wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. You know, you have cloudy days and storms and so forth when these things don't work. That's why you need a full um, baseload generation supply. And if you shut down things which were in your baseload, assuming you're always going to get the green energy, the so-called green energy, uh, that doesn't work. We saw what happened in Texas last winter when they had the ice storm and the windmills weren't working. Um, and there's been a lot of examples from around the world when the, uh, uh, the green stuff stopped producing for a while and there's not enough backup to take care of it. So, so the planning for this was not adequate to provide the supply that the consumers needed uh, during the times of, of the low production of these other products. It, yeah, you know, that's a little bit scary. And I gather that in Britain, they had to go back to coal-fired plants to make up the lack of uh, power. Is that correct? Yes, it's true in Britain. It's true in Germany. Germany tried to go in a big way to solar. Uh, there's a problem in Germany. It's at a fairly high latitude. It has a good number of days of the year where it's quite cloudy. It's cool and cloudy. I mean, it's, Germany is not Saudi Arabia where the sun shines brightly all the time. And they found that um, they weren't producing the, the power at a reasonable cost. And electricity prices became very high in Germany. As a result, a lot of the German petrochemical industry moved out to um, the Middle East and to uh, Louisiana, Texas, and the U.S., where they could get cheap feedstocks and reliable, and where uh, Germany just made themselves non-competitive. You see this happening in lots of places. And now they're even uh, wanting to make themselves more dependent on Russian gas, which is I think a huge strategic mistake. Uh, the Russians have lots of gas, but the Russian government is not a reliable supplier. And they've used it for political purposes in the past, the pipeline is going through Ukraine. They've shut things down in the past and there's no reason to think they won't do it in the future. And if and somebody has really a stranglehold on your energy. Right. Uh, they can put an economic stranglehold on Britain by shutting down their supply of natural gas to the country. Or well, Britain, well, one of the great ironies in Britain, uh, your listeners might remember that during the Thatcher years, Britain was self-sufficient in oil and gas. In fact, was a, a major oil exporter for a number of years. Now, during the Thatcher years, they were bringing oil and gas from offshore wells in the North Sea. Well, eventually these things had become largely depleted. So a few years ago, they found huge gas deposits in the Northwest of England, uh, enough gas up there to uh, support Britain for decades. You're listening to Up Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Richard Ron. He's the chair of the Institute for Global <clears throat> Economic Growth. And we're talking about what happened in Britain when they decided to make a move towards shutting down the production of natural gas because of environmental pressures. I'm sorry to have interrupted you, Richard. Please go ahead. That's fine. Uh, as I mentioned, in Britain, they recently, or in the last couple of years, 
found huge deposits of natural gas up in the northwestern part of the country. Uh, these deposits, if you use fracking, would be uh, could keep Britain self-sufficient in the gas for many decades, which would bring down the price of energy. It's reliable. It's clean burning. All kinds of advantages. But the environmentalists say, oh, it's a fossil fuel. Like all fossil fuels are bad. I mean, coal is dirty to burn. Uh, oil is less so. And natural gas is very clean burning. And there's a big difference. And they should make these kind of distinctions. Um, if you had a totally rational world, we would rely much more heavily on nuclear. Um, but ever since Chernobyl and the nuclear accident in Japan with a tsunami, people have been scared to death about nuclear. And it's, it's important to take precautions because it can be, as we know, very dangerous. But it also can be extremely safe. Is the nuclear a great source of power in France? Yes. The mm -hmm. French rely very heavily on nuclear. In fact, they export a lot of their uh, power. And the French have also built nuclear plants around the world. Mm -hmm. And these have operated safely. I mean, France yes. has been doing this a good number of decades without, without a problem. And again, the technology gets better and better all the time and gets safer and safer. But once you turn on a nuclear plant, there's a big construction cost, but the operating cost for nuclear is very inexpensive. And, you know, you turn it on and it just runs. I mean, it's, it's not you deplete the fuel at a rapid rate or anything by running the plant. And um, this would be, again, probably the most sensible base load in places which don't have lots of hydroelectric. And yeah. not very many people have that much hydro, and many countries have that much hydro. Well, there are a couple of foreign players who are involved in supplying, or will be, or are currently involved in supplying uh, power to Europe. And one of those, of course, are the Russians, as you mentioned, but then the Chinese have stated that they are going to really upgrade their solar and windmill production capabilities for foreign countries. The irony of all that is, according to the article you wrote and, and what other things that I've read, is that they're going to be using fossil fuel energy plants, in other words, coal-based plants, I gather, to produce this uh, green energy. Uh, is there some irony in here? I mean, this is really rather yeah. the, the, the Chinese um, lack sufficient natural sources of energy. They have a lot of hydro, but they use a huge amount of power given the size of their population. And they, um, uh, and they have reasonable amounts of gas and limited amounts of oil and lots of coal. And so what they're doing is building new coal plants, like one a week. And, and for those of your listeners who've been to China, you know how heavily polluted the place is. It's really a problem with plants. But anyway, they're using this electricity from coal burning to go ahead and uh, produce um, solar cells and wind turbines um, which are actually intensive, energy intensive in their manufacture, and then sending this to other countries. So other countries will have less reliable energy than the Chinese, uh, 
Uh, you could say, well, the uh, solar and wind is um, clean in its operation, but as the reason we just pointed out, the operation is intermittent and you can't rely on that. So right. countries are giving up a lot of foreign exchange and paying the Chinese, uh, which increases global air pollution. I mean, the, the source is coal plants in China. Well, you course, know, as we know pollution goes around the world. You mentioned that the clean using wind and solar, but it really isn't truly. Because what do you do with the solar panels? They don't last forever. Recycling them is a huge problem. What does the wind turbines do to the environment, to the bird population, to actually to the livability of an area? I don't think we even really know long, long term. I mean, the only wind turbines that I've ever seen um, were driving through the desert in California. I mean, I've seen them occasionally, but these were wind farms. And there was mm -hmm. nothing out there to disturb, except it probably did disturb some of the wildlife. But the 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 they have an impact on the environment as well. And I think particularly the issue of the solar panels and how do you get rid of them? Is that a concern as well? Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, the wind turbine, the blades are primarily made out of fiberglass, but there's a huge amount of aluminum, aluminum goes into the structures. And also in the solar panels are basically aluminum frames and so forth. Um, Aluminum is is a, a wonderful metal, and I'm very much in favor of aluminum. But it is it is power hungry in its production. About forty percent of the cost of what they call primary aluminum is electrical power because of the way it's made through electrolytic reduction. Um, so if you're concerned about pollution, um, you, you, building a, a coal-fired power plant to make a solar cell array with all the aluminum frames and the uh, structures for wind turbines, again, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, <laughs> well, but the Chinese yeah. are not governed by economics so much as they are by political considerations, which should well, worry everybody. Right. And I, I do think that we have to be concerned. I mean, we were at one time, I thought we were energy uh, independent, but we no longer are. We ask OPEC to increase production. And um, I think we're, I don't know, we seem to be moving backwards in, in that. Those well, we are totally. Yeah. The, the and, the, is and you see is the, the statistics that I quoted at the beginning, this 48% increase in the price of gasoline. I mean, I look at the people that's going to affect it. It's going to really seriously impact lower income, poor people, people whose jobs depend on them traveling and driving in, uh, to their job, to their work. That's how they make a living. I mean, when you start paying about $15 more for a fill up of the gas tank, man, that is a big impact on your, on your budget. Um, so these There's are some of the things we're seeing, but you indicated yeah. that in Europe, we're also seeing a, 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 a unemployment shortage foods and so on. Let's just take a brief pause here and let our listeners know they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Richard Ron. He's the chair of the Institute for Global Economic Growth. And we're talking about how this 
our woke green future is impacting uh, will is impacting our country, how it will impact our country, and the effect that it's having on Europe. And of course, any time that our uh, European cousins are under economic stress, it, it kind of rolls over all around the to the United States and so on. Um, so tell me a little bit about you had indicated in your recent article that um, Europe is experiencing unemployment, food shortages, inflation. Um, how bad is it? And is it going to get worse? First, I wanted to comment on the uh, price of gasoline going up here in the U.S. Okay. The U.S. has enormous quantities of oil and gas. And with the brilliance of fracking, we can produce mammoth quantities for many decades or if not a couple hundred years ahead. Uh, so there's no shortage here. The shortage is totally self-induced by the government putting restrictions on transporting it, shutting down pipelines, and then also putting very costly restrictions on its production. And that's happened over the past year. Up to a year ago, uh, gasoline and uh, natural gas were cheap and plentiful, and people could fill up their cars and heat their homes at a very reasonable price. The only reason this has gone up is, again, bad government policy. Um, and you have these other producing nations around the country, the world. So there's no shortage of oil and gas, but there is a shortage of things like tankers and um, to transport it from country to country. And um, what's happened, of course, in Europe, they put all kinds of very onerous restrictions. As a result, the prices have soared. Um, they have insufficient energy supplies now to fuel their industry. This is causing layoffs um, and these bottlenecks, so they're making themselves poorer. This is, I mean, governments are supposed to make things better for people. We now have a situation on the world where all so many governments are making things worse for their citizens, driving up costs, restricting individual liberties, and it's, a, it's all so unnecessary and it's so terrible. And we ought not to have this. I mean, Europe is again ahead of us with these various restrictions. Uh, if they come here, the situation will be worse. I mean, we look at these huge supply bottlenecks we have in this country. These supply bottlenecks have largely been caused by our, our labor, labor policies and a lot of the uh, regulations on international shipping and so forth. And they're affecting the whole world. And it's, it's a government-induced mess and it comes from the European governments, the Chinese government, the U.S. government. Um, and for somebody like me who's an economist and can understand why this is so unnecessary, it's extremely frustrating to see so many bad policies, which are, uh, again, hurting both employment opportunities, economic growth, and most important, our civil liberties. Yeah, well, you know, um, I look at it from the consumer standpoint. That's actually, that's the way that you're looking at it too, in terms of the way it's hurting us. 
um, and what's likely to happen. You know, some of the things that we that I think that we leave out of the discussion are the things that you have just said. There should be a reasonable approach to this, not an all or nothing kind of approach. You don't just give up something as a backup for your energy uh, needs and and just eliminate it. I mean, but that seems to be what the world is looking at. Well, no, not the world. It's Europe and the United States. No. Are there other countries well, that are trying to go green? Well, a lot of countries are trying to go green. I mean, with the biggest impact so far has been in Europe. Okay. And they, the irony here again is when suddenly they can't get enough power from solar and wind, the backups they turn to are coal because you can bring a coal plant on very quickly. I mean, you can fire one of those up, you know, maybe mothball it, but you can, mm -hmm. um, it's not like uh, some other horses. I mean, a nuclear plant takes years to build. The coal plant, I mean, you can turn these things off and on pretty easily. So what happens is Europe, Britain, continental Europe is turning more to coal, which means they're making things dirtier rather than cleaner. It's crazy. Doesn't, does not make a whole lot of sense, does it? And I'm no, not at all. No, it, it seems to me like we jump on a bandwagon without thinking of the results. And and I'm kind of a result-oriented person because I think about how does it impact the consumer. I mean, I I worry about our small businesses in this country, especially about the price of gasoline, the services that we expect. What are we going to see happening? It just, um, it, it really seems to me that it across the board, it's going to impact all of us negatively and some segments of our population even more heavily. And that's going to be a real burden for them. Um, tell me- Most some, everything is dependent on energy. We've only I mean, got farming. a couple. Yeah, everything is dependent yeah. on energy. You're so right. Uh, give me some good news. I've got, give you a minute to do it. Uh, the good news is, I think people are waking up to the nonsense and hopefully they'll begin to change course. I see more political discussion about uh, these matters and people like you are uh, alerting people to what the real reasons for this are. And that's, that's the forerunner to getting the kind of political change that is necessary to bring us back to rationality. Yeah, I hope, I hope you're right because I mean, I look at it from the standpoint of, because all I've done all of my life is, is battle for consumers. I don't mean legislation, I mean for fair, fairness in the marketplace. And um, so consequently, I, I look at this with a great deal of concern, uh, especially for our small businesses. We've always been a champion of the small business. They're really the backbone of our country. And I just really worry about what kind of impact all of these costs and, and shortages. And we in the here in the States are beginning to expect, uh, experience shortages of products. Uh, you go in the grocery store and you can find empty shelves of products just because the supply chain seems to be disrupted. So anyway, Richard, it has been a real treat to talk with you. I hope we've given some insight to some of our, our to our listeners and some of the things that they need to think about in terms of our desire to help our planet, which we all want to do. So thank you so much for being with me. You've been listening well, to- Well, thank you very much. I greatly enjoyed it. Thank you. My, my guest has been Richard Ron. I'm Shirley Rooker. You've been listening to Of Consuming Interest right here on the Federal News Network. You can reach me at Shirley at callforaction.org. Thank you.
of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP. best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know eight out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, Temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.